Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how you can make your offer so irresistible that your prospects can't say no. Let's get started. Do you have a B2B small business? Are you frustrated with the lack of resources to grow in B2B? So where do we go to learn how to grow our B2B small business? Should we focus on traditional offline methods, online techniques, or both? How do we bring in more clients and revenue and yet keep our sanity? I'm Robert Poole. Join me as I share two decades of B2B growth experience, learn new techniques, and combine both offline and online growth strategies to grow my own business. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Hey, everyone. I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about how we can use perfection to our advantage without it becoming a drag in our business. Today, I want to talk about the concept of creating an irresistible offer for your product or service. So what am I talking about with an irresistible offer? Well, if you've ever seen that movie, The Godfather, you know, Vito Corleone famously says, you know, hey, I'm going to make him an offer I can't refuse. Of course, he was talking about, you know, death or ply, you know, you get it. And same thing with, you know, the Colombian cartels, uh, he used to say plato plomo which is silver lead, i.e., you know, we're going to pay you or you're going to get a bullet in the head. Uh, So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about how to use in business uh, basically an offer that somebody is so good that uh, your customers really can't say no because it's just too enticing. Great business example I always like to use is uh, the late uh, Tony Shea, you know, with uh, the CEO of Zappos, you know, and and focusing on developing the offer that uh, their customers couldn't refuse. You know, he came onto the company early when it was a startup and kind of changed the way they were doing things because they were trying to sell shoes online. But, you know, there was the problem women couldn't try them on and, you know, shipping and everything else. It was more expensive than just going to your local shoe store. So he kind of changed things, uh, you know, in general, you know, a lot of women love shoes, you know, and more the better, you know, they have 10 pair than one guys, not so much, but, you know, uh, of course, you know, there are exceptions to every rule, but just in general. Um, and so, you know, there was a big hurdle in, with online shoes, you know, you have to pay for shipping and, you know, not be able to try them on before you bought them, you know, like you could in a store, that sort of thing. So they decided to overcome this by telling customers, you know, you can order as many pairs of shoes as you want. You can order 10 pairs if you want, you know, in different sizes, whatever. And Zappos would pay the shipping to the customer free, and then they'd also pay for the shipping back. And this is one of the first companies to do that kind of thing. And you're seeing that model more and more with companies like Stitch Fix and, you know, that sort of thing. In this case, you know, the women could, or the customer anyway, keep as many shares or shoes as they wanted or none and just ship back what they didn't want, you know, and it was all free. So basically, he made them an offer that was sort of a no-brainer. I mean, why would you get dressed and go to a shoe store and deal with a shoe salesman, you know, like Al Bundy from Mary with Children, you know, if you could just try out as many pairs and sizes as you want, you know, right there in the privacy of your home. I mean, how could a person who loves shoes, you know, say no to that? And I'm sure all of us would like to be in the position of having our prospects buy because there's, you know, it's a no brainer instead of trying to persuade them to buy. But, you know, let's take a step back and go back to the basics. You know, why don't prospects, you know, let's assume that they have the funds that are in the market for your product or service. Uh, you know, and if not, that's a whole different issue. Really, it comes down to just a few things. Either they don't trust what you're saying is true. You know, they've got some risk there. They don't perceive that there's more value in what you're offering than the money they'd have to part with to buy your offer. You know, they're nervous or even scared about making a decision. You know, they don't want to make the wrong decision because then they might look stupid in front of their peers or 
their boss, spouse, or whoever. And this really comes into play in B2B. I mean, if you've got a $30,000 machine you're trying to sell, and I mean, most likely they're going to want to look good in front of their boss or their peers or their employees or whatever. You know, and there's other reasons, but those are some of the main ones. So, you know, the big question is, you know, what do we do to overcome these objections to buying now, you know, in advance if possible? The easiest way is to craft an offer in such a way that, you know, they'd be crazy not to take advantage of it. You know, stick with me a minute, uh, you know, for just for the you know purposes of this. Imagine that you do have an offer that is good, too good for the prospect to pass up. Does that make your selling and closing easier? Does that make the customer less likely to have buyer's remorse? Are they more likely to tell their friends and family and colleagues about, you know, their purchase in your company? Does that make your life and the life of your customer service people easier? Does that lower the rate of refunds and returns? Yeah, well, that sounds like a dream. Pretty much all of our major difficulties in selling to clients are handled by that no-brainer offer. Well, you know, of course, easier said than done, you say, you know, I totally get that. But so let's look at what makes an offer irresistible. Well, and and, uh, there are three things in my mind. You know, the first, there's making it low risk, you know, either a guarantee or a, a way out. You know, you can provide a, a guarantee, a, a contract, you know, has an out clause to it. You can also provide, you know, testimonials and, you know, if it was a referral and, and also your past relationship with the company, you know, if they've done business with you in the past. You also have to build substantially more value in a prospect's mind than they're going to part with cash. If they perceive the value of your product as, you know, let's say 5000 but you're only asking them for 2500 I mean, how do they say no to that? And third, they get some kind of emotional reward for buying. You know, it's, maybe it's their ego that they feel important or successful, cool to be able to purchase your product, you know, or your service. Uh, you know, they get adoration from your, their peers or their boss or spouse or whatever. So you get the point of how powerful the irresistible offer is. Imagine once again how that would change your business and the stress in your life and the life of your employees. Okay, so this is all conceptual at this point, but you know, how do we practically implement this in our business and create those components of our offer to make it really irresistible? Well, let's go back to the, you know, the three steps here. You know, first, uh, we have to increase the perceived value of our product or service you know, by brainstorming ways to increase the value in the prospect's mind. If the main product or service is expensive, you know, what kind of support or really what kind of problems does your solution create? I mean, what do I mean by products or uh, service creating problems instead of solutions? Well, let me give you an example. You know, my company, Sales Double, you know, our core service is cold calling and telemarketing to businesses on our clients. Our solution solves the problem involved in an entrepreneur or salespeople having to cold call themselves. I mean, they generally hate or even afraid of cold calling, and no one likes rejection, of course. And it's a different skill set uh, than selling, prospecting, and pounding away on the phone. You know, it takes a, an enormous amount of time and dedication. And it sets up our client as, you know, too important to make them calls themselves and have a secretary do it. Very important in the B2B world, especially. But, you know, that's great. But, you know, if a client engages us to do this cold calling, what kind of problems does that actually create? It solves the the big solution. But what about all the other little problems? You know, questions like, well, who are you going to call? Where are you going to get this data from? What type of companies are going to be most receptive to your offer and so on? A lot of market research. What are you going to say? And, you know, what are the appointments going to, our appointment setters going to say? You know, experts get paid thousands of dollars to write effective scripts since the payoff is so good. You and I are probably not qualified. So, you know, we now have another problem. You know, another one, uh, how are we going to get the info on the actual appointments? Are we going to get them, you know, via email and a spreadsheet, uh, you know, in some kind of CRM? You know, how do you organize and keep track of them? 
And then, you know, now that you have some appointments and leads, you know, how are you going to follow up on them? If you need to email the materials, how are you going to have those built? A designer in-house outsourced to somebody and pay big bucks, you know? And then once you design them, how are you going to send them? How do you automate sending them so you don't have to set reminders constantly? So this is just an example of, you know, follow-on problems that a service as simple as ours can create. So sometimes prospects will realize these problems in advance, but, you know, sometimes not. So how do we turn these follow-on problems into advantages to build value on our service or product? You know, first, uh, I think you've got to identify all the possible mini follow-up problems that a a client will have after buying your core product. Number two, figure out how to solve all the follow-on problems, you know, and if your company can't solve it, find someone who can and partner with them and you can make this part of your business. Number three, you know, integrate those solutions in your core services, value-added items, and use these problems and their solutions in explaining and selling your offer. So now that we've built some value, uh, additional perceived value into our product or service, you know, the next step is to eliminate some of the perceived risk to the prospect. You know, and I emphasis on perceived. You know, you always have to look at all of this uh, through the eyes of your prospect, not your own. So there's really three ways to eliminate uh, this perceived risk. You know, you can offer a full back, uh, full money back guarantee, you know, if at all possible. You know, and some caveats, of course, not all products will work with this, particularly higher end ones. And some service-based programs, you know, you can't have guarantees when there's a lot of money used in fulfilling it. But, you know, you want to set parameters and detailed requirements for what that money-back guarantee requires that back. You know, how long does it last? Are you going to require a certain amount of, you know, use by the client? You know, what other requirements are you going to have to implement to make sure that they give your product a fair try? And so, you know, figure out what percentage of returns and refunds you part of an overall sales. You know, once you determine that, then you can really price that into your product. So let's say you sell a product for $1,000 and figure you may have a 10% uh, refund or guarantee rate that people take you up on it. So that's, you know, $1,000 for every 10 products you sell. You know, so you end up with 9000 instead of 10000 But let's say you still need that 10K to make it profitable. Well, it's an easy fix. You know, make up that projected amount by increasing your price from 1000 to, in this case, uh, $1,112, increase of $112. Probably not enough to dissuade most buyers, and yet it equals the same price as if you didn't offer any kind of guarantee to start off with. So that kind of money uh, back guarantee works usually for smaller uh, products and services. But, you know, if you're doing something bigger, a higher ticket item, you know, and you probably have a contract, you know, you can build a uh, in out into the contract, you know. It can be much more difficult to sell a service that has a long-term, you know, contract commitment. So the prospect may want your product or service, but... Maybe they're uncomfortable with a perceived risk of committing to a long time. So how do you come o- overcome this fear of the prospects? Well, the, I think the answer is you build in some kind of out or change or cancellation clause into your contract. You know, you could, for example, give them a short-term period but money-back guarantee. You know, if the contract is a year contract, maybe you give them a two-week guarantee. If they decide it's not for them in two weeks after signing, they can get out of it and get most or all of their money back. You know, you could offer them a cancellation, you know, cancel any time type of thing with a significant fee that covers your cost for the interruption of the revenue. So, you know, again, on a 12-month contract, you could offer cancel only time with, you know, three months notice or whatever's enough revenue to give you time to pay for costs and time to acquire a new customer to replace them. It really depends on your specific situation, of course, but you get where I'm going with this. So, you know, if you're creative enough, you can come up with some ways to eliminate some of the risk in the prospect's mind. And next, uh, you know, you've got uh, testimonials, referrals, and 
a past relationship that they may have with your business, uh, particularly for, you know, current customers. You know, as far as testimonials, you know, people love social proof, uh, especially people that they respect. This gives them assurance that, you know, so-and-so did it, so it's okay for me to do it. Now, so build your list of testimonials. This is a powerful way of negating that perceived risk. You know, referrals, focus on referrals. Everyone knows referrals are the best sales because they come in, uh, you know, with a pretty good trust factor to start off with, but someone else is kind of vouching for you. But, you know, a lot of us uh, need a formal referral program and a way to reward those clients to who refer people. And so, unfortunately, most companies don't have formal referral programs. So get that in writing and come up with a system that makes sense. And then, uh, of course, with your current or past uh, clients that have some sort of relationship with your company, I mean, there's no easy way to get past perceived risk than to have a prospect experience what it's like to work with you. Your current clients are the best case for risk avoidance. So take advantage of it. Of course, uh, you know, first step is to increase the perceived value uh, of your product or service. You know, the second is to eliminate the risk. And the third one is to build in sort of emotional reasons to buy. People always, always buy for emotional reasons. They'll actually pay more for the same thing based upon emotions rather than logic. You know, and there's a fallacy in B2B that it's logical and not emotional at all because it's just dollars and cents. All sales are emotional and then backed up by logic. So, you know, a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. First, uh, you know, the ego of the person, you know, a prospect may want to buy a $30,000 machine from you, not because it's what gonna, what's it going to do for their company, because they may want to buy it just because, you know, they feel important spending 30 or they feel clever and frugal by making a good purchase. They feel smart, you know, um, and then the perception of how others view them. You know, this is very important. You know, they want their boss to think they did a good job and, you know, get a raise maybe. They want their peers to think they're smart or clever or whatever. They want their friends to admire them for how good a job they did for making a smart purchase. And, you know, if it's a referral, you know, type of situation where somebody recommended a product or service, you know, they don't want to disappoint or lose face in their circle of friends or colleagues, uh, you know, whoever referred them to it. You know, I mean, if you ever had a friend refer you to their landscaper, mechanic or whatever, you know, a good percentage of us will take the word from our friend and even pay more just because we don't want our friend to think their advice is not valuable. I mean, how do you tell somebody? geez, you know, thanks for, you know, your advice and that you think this person is great, but I think they suck and I'm not going to use them. That's a hard conversation to have. You know, so acceptance by our peers is amazingly powerful. So if we can do those three things, you know, we can increase the perceived value in a prospect's mind and then eliminate some of that risk that's in their mind as well, and then give them emotional reasons to buy. You can create an offer that's one of the most powerful tools that you have for growth in your business build that offer, you have to really address all three of those things. But if you handle them effectively, your selling will be monumentally easier and more effective. And of course, then grow your company. So I hope you got something out of this today and uh, have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and give me your honest feedback and what future subjects would help you out the most. Now, I've also put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years uh, in a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. That's growyourb2bcompany.com.